0: chapter 28 verses 1 to 20 after the Sabbath at dawn on the very first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away whilst we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age.
1: Now, some days, some days hit like an earthquake, don't they? Even if the ground doesn't literally shake, you feel like your world's been shaking. It might be the diagnosis that kind of sweeps your legs from under you. It could be votes that change uh, the political landscape. It could be hearing the news, some kind of a, an attack in one place that leaves you feeling afraid in almost every place. And it's not even the initial impact. It is a bit like that stone that's dropped into a camp pond, and after the initial splash, the, the ripples of the consequences seem to, to spread out further and further. Now, Easter is one of those days, except it works in the opposite direction, so much so that it had an actual earthquake at the beginning. If you got that reading from Matthew 28 in front of you, you see verse 2, there was a, a violent earthquake But if you know the story, it's not the earthquake that really shakes things up. No, that that barely registers on the Richter scale of things that happened that day. No, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the pebble that God has thrown into the pond of human history. And its ripples are like earthquakes still being felt 2,000 years later. It is in no way an exaggeration to say that you can't really understand the, the history of our world for the past 2,000 years, if you do not have some grasp on the claim that Jesus Christ, an itinerant preacher in the Roman province of Judea, rose from the grave. It's had more impact than on, the, uh, on the history of the world than, than anything else. It has more impact on shaping who you are today Whether you believe in him or not, than anything else, the the writing, the artwork, the music, the ethics, the the buildings, the philosophy, the charity, uh, the social reforms, all coming from this story of this man are beyond measuring. Now this is the story that we've got to engage with. If you want to understand the world you live in, if you want to, to understand yourself, never mind if you want to understand the person who it's all about. So let's see what Matthew now, one of Jesus' first disciples says about him, he says this, you got this reading open in front of you, he says, Easter, it's the good news that everyone is looking for, yet some won't even consider it. Here's the first thing. It's the good news that everyone is looking for. That's a bold claim, isn't it? I guess many of us head into Easter and what we're, we're looking for is uh, some more chocolates and maybe a long weekend at last to spend some time with family and friends. But beyond that, does it really have the ability to satisfy some kind of universal longing? Well, totally. Because Easter is the good news about something we're, we're all looking for. Because it offers a way back and a way forward. The past 12 months, we've become used, haven't we, to the kind of Uh, The backdrop in the news of the the numbers of those who've died, it's just become the kind of noise in the background almost, but it's there almost every night on the news as the numbers go up, and it's, I guess, even if it's not come too close to us yet, it's still brought into focus the sadness around every life. We wish that we could fix broken bodies, we put a brave face on it at times, we we say things like, well, you've got to go sometimes, but we, we wish it wasn't that way. Now, we don't want death to stop the forward progress of, of life and love. We want a way back and, and a way forwards. And we battle as hard as we can, don't we? Those of us who are older, we, we battle with creams and with diets and with exercise. Those of us who are younger, uh, we battle to cram in as much as we can now, and every time we do that, we're, we're really saying we know there's a day coming when there's going to be no way back, no way forwards. And then Easter hits. And Easter hits like an earthquake. That's verse 6, isn't it? Where the angel said, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And Easter gives us a broken body brought back. And I mean a body totally broken, but now brought back with such overwhelming power that nothing will ever stop it going forward in life and love so dress it up however you want but at some point the message of easter it is the good news that everyone is looking for everyone who's ever bought a kind of anti-wrinkle cream everyone who's tried to cram wish they could cram just a little bit more into life everyone who's wept at a funeral which makes you wonder, well, then why is it the news that, that some won't even consider? I mean, Matthew says there's some who are excited. Verse 8 in our reading, there's the, there's the women at the tomb. Verse 16, there's the disciples in Galilee. Now, they have their doubts. Let's not pretend for any moment that what they came to believe was, was merely the result of wishful thinking. None of them had been anticipating a resurrection not entered their minds really. And you can't just write it off as hallucinations. They they don't work that way, do they? Multiple people in multiple locations over multiple days all seeing the same thing? No, it doesn't work like that. No, these these women and these men, they, they saw something that shook their world, shook their doubts, and then left them with with joy. But there's another group, the guards who, who leave their posts in verse 11, they, they head to the chief priests with, with the report, the earthquake, the angel, the empty tomb. What do you do? What do you do when properly tough men, men you know that you can't just push around or persuade easily, what, what do you do when tough men like that come with a story of those kind of things? Well, I guess you would question it. Somebody rising from the dead, I mean, it is incredible. But you think you'd investigate rationally, not not least because they knew that Jesus had claimed that he would rise from the dead. They not believed him. They hated him. But if there was the slightest possibility, you think you'd investigate, you'd check it out, but not these guys. No, they, they devise a plan. Verse 13 uh, say his disciples came during the night and, and stole him away while you were asleep. The more you think about that, you, you think, talk about, talk about implausible stories that frightened disciples who fled from Jesus while he was alive. Now that he's dead, they muster the courage and they attempt a raid on a guarded tomb and they move a huge stone without waking the guards who all happened to just be asleep. And then they steal his body, and they spread a lie that he's risen, and they maintain that lie for the rest of their lives. Charles Colson, uh, the American politician who was involved with the, the Watergate scandal that brought down the Nixon government in the early 70s, he, he once said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Well, 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. They, they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They wouldn't have endured that if it weren't true. At Watergate, embroiled 12 of the most important men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Impossible. See, it's not that you can't ask questions about the Christian faith. It's not that you can't investigate. It's just that with Easter offering such good news, why is it that there's some who, who won't even consider it? Well, I think it's because look, Easter, offers, Easter offers more than you can ever dream but at the cost of everything you've got now. I mean, it is good news. In the face of death, it's offering a way back and a way forward. But it's not just some kind of Endless life, back in 2017, the, the Guardian newspaper carried an article around Easter time discussing immortality in the afterlife, and it, it said this, the prospect of a life infinitely prolonged becomes, after some time, the prospect of infinite futility. You get what they're saying, if, if life is just going to go on forever, at some point we want to get dull, want to get a bit boring, but that's not Easter. Easter's not just the undoing of death the total transforming of life as you know it. And it's there in those words in verses 18 to 20 going forward where Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Actually, one of the key words in those verses is this little word, all, in there. And our our translations kind of flatten it out. It, It reads kind of, more literally, it would read like this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you, and surely I am with you all days to the very end of the age. All authority, all nations, all things he's taught, all days. And what this is getting at is if you if you come to Jesus for new life, you're giving up your claim to be in charge. Your right to hold prejudice. And you're the same as everyone else. All authority belongs to Jesus. He's the one who says what's right and wrong. He's the one in charge. He'll give you life and define it now. To get in on Easter, Jesus isn't an add on. He's not the chocolate egg on top of a long weekend. No, his claim hits like an earthquake, it's a takeover. And when he commands all nations are to be made disciples, that was a huge thing for his followers. They thought people who weren't Jews, Gentiles, were kind of beyond the pale. They were outside of God's plans. They never were. But in Jesus' words here, he's saying, look, you, you, if you come to him, you, you're giving up your right to hold prejudice. We've all got them. The people we don't like, the ones we'd rather exclude. The, the Easter message says it's available to everyone. Whoever you are, whatever you've done up until this point, you, you're invited to come as well. And then teaching all the things that he's commanded, that, that kind of redefines my status. So whether you're whether you're a confident teacher, the medical professor, the single mom, struggling with anxiety, long-term unemployed, Easter makes us all the same. Uh, there may be some fields where I know a little bit more than someone else, but when it comes to what really makes life count, Jesus says we're sitting alongside everyone else, just the same, needing to be taught about and by him. We've got no status above that. And I think Matthew hints at that, even with the people he mentions. The women at the tomb and the men in Galilee uh, the testimony of, of women in those days, it, it, it was considered useless. They were viewed as kind of nobodies. And Galilee was a kind of nowhere place. And Matthew says, look, it's, it's those who were viewed as nobodies from a nowhere place who had the truth, who were humble enough to welcome and trust Jesus. I guess the question Easter asks us is: Are you happy for that yourself? Are you happy? Are you happy to be known as a kind of nobody special, from a nowhere place? Easter. It's really humbling. And I think that's the reason that some won't consider it. What's difficult about Jesus is not. It's not that there's not evidence for him. It's not that you. You can't believe in him. There's lots of things to persuade you that it really is true. No, no. what's hard is that Jesus hits our pride like an earthquake. Whether you're, whether you're the teenager at school or, or you're flying in your career, he shakes our desire to have things our own way. Have you felt him do that? He's not come just to undo death. He's... He's come to undo the real problem of why I do the things I do. That I want to say no to God. I want to have things my own way instead of humbly trusting Him. He's come to deal with the problems that that causes, that that it separates us from God to bring forgiveness and bring us back to Him. Have you come to Him? And what do you get in return? Well, that's verse 20, isn't it? Jesus says, And surely I am with you all days, even to the very end of the age. What you get is Jesus, always and forever. You're his, and he's yours. And what that means is you've got not only the one who's the way back from death and the way forward in forgiveness and life and love, but you find a savior who cares about the sadness in life. He's been through the grave. He blesses every love that weeps and grieves and makes our our grief the pangs of new birth. The resurrection, it, it proves those claims. Have you considered them? And what does it look like? What does it look like if you've got him? Well, here's just a few things briefly. I guess it will bring uh, humility. We'll, we won't always be looking to get our own way because we'll know someone else is in charge. We should begin to experience amongst us regular forgiveness. We should expect to find our, our sinful prejudices are being exposed because Jesus won't have them. But alongside that, there should be regular requests for forgiveness being met by a willingness to forgive in his name. And I think it also means that we're, we're people increasingly who are teachable. There will be people who, when it comes to our status, we, we know we need to be taught. We'll be listening to Jesus from his word. And people like that, a community like that, is one about which Jesus says, I am with you always. And we'll be confident this Easter day going forward from here, that we found in Him a way back and a way forward. And what do you do if you come to Jesus like that? This is what those first disciples did. In verse 17 of the reading, Matthew records, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. We're going to do that together in a moment. Our musicians are going to come back up And we're going to sing our final hymn of praise uh, here together. And it has these wonderful Easter words that were true that first day and are true for us today. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly, he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. As the musicians come back up and as the music begins, let's stand and worship the Savior on this Easter Sunday.